Hello and welcome to the Living Mountain Conversations with me, Jenny Sturgeon. I'm here today with Shona Thompson, curator and filmmaker. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself a wee bit, Shona? Yeah, yeah, because I guess those are two slightly different jobs um, in the film world and in the arts. So as a curator, I work with selecting films and films that are um, have a relevance to the projects and the places and the people that I work with. So I very much work a lot with archive film. That's my my love, mm-hmm. um, uh, the love of digging around in, in uh, websites, catalogues and, um, and archives. And um, then the filmmaker side is something that's kind of developed from that. So actually repurposing, which is an odd phrase, but working with archive film to bring it to different audiences, new audiences. So that's where the curator and filmmaker side of me comes out. Mm-hmm. We have a project called A Kind of Seeing. Yeah, so A Kind of Seeing is kind of like the banner that I operate yeah. under um, because I wanted to have that just unusual way of working with film represented in some way because it is quite difficult to put into job titles <laughs> so and a kind of seeing project is is a project that's I'm involved in like the living mountain or working with silent film and life performance or running a, a project that is around archive or um, in communities like working with Coalfields Regeneration Trust and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, it's a great name, a kind of scene. Yeah, it comes from a film, actually. What is it? From a 1960 film. What? Really um, oh. highly recommend uh, watching it. It's in the Moving Image Archive at the okay. National Library of Scotland. You'll see it online. It's made by a, a guy who was a friend of mine, um, in latterly Eddie McConnell. He's no longer with us, but it's just a beautiful film. He was basically given £5,000, which was quite a lot in those days, mm-hmm. to make a film about the colours of Scotland. And that's all he was told. He just said, just £5,000, just off you go and make it, which was oh, wow. to him incredible yeah. that he had a chance to go and, and be free and, and make what he wants to make. And it's it's an incredible film. It's it's an experimental film and mm-hmm. it's, it's beautiful. Actually, it's interesting. It reminds me of this project a little bit in some yeah. respects. Of it's, there's a lot of still shots of the water and he's fascinated with reflection and with... Um, and reflection as a as a as a viewer as well mm-hmm. as as well as being a filmmaker. So it's really mm. it's a nice connection actually. Interesting. I'll have to Check have to look out. it up. Mm. I think I how did I first come and I try to remember how I first heard about you or was so, it through Jason? I think it was through Jason, a friend of ours, Jason Singh, a mutual friend, mm. um, who's worth checking out Absolutely. as well. He's an amazing vocal sculptor. And what was that project? through was that through drifters it it wasn't it was um he was doing the residency with Aidan O'Rourke that's right in Aberdeen Aberdeen, yeah um for Aberdeen Performing Arts I think it was Mm -hmm. and I came up to see the show because I knew both of them and you were there as well yeah and then one thing led to another and then we ended up in a casino (laughs) in Aberdeen at two in the morning (laughs) had a great time (laughs) it was good it was good remember winning a bit as well did you I think so Aidan and I went out on the tables oh really yeah oh wow yeah I think we were equipped while we were ahead though yeah got £3.50 and you're like I'm leaving (laughs) I've admired your work since then kind of the Mm. links between the film and live music and live scores you've done quite a lot of that is that something that's happened more recently or has that always interested you more recent well I suppose in the last 10 years um, in 2010 was when I jumped ship and went freelance mm. I'd done a couple of events as a kind of seeing at the Edinburgh Film Festival showing archive film mm-hmm. and then 
I was working full time actually at the National Library of Scotland as a PA, as personal mm. assistant to two of the directors there. Okay. Because I'd been working a lot at the Edinburgh Film Festival in my holidays mm-hmm. and uh, volunteering there, kind of had a wee network of folk in the film industry. And uh, one of them had done a feasibility study for a silent film festival in Bowness, beautiful mm. Bowness, mm. uh, which is just on the southern Firth of Forth shore, not far from the Lithgow. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing cinema there. Scotland's oldest purpose-built cinema called the Hippodrome. And the festival was all about, and it's something that we, we grew it to be as well, was about silent film with live music. Yeah. And it was important that the music was live, mm-hmm. that it wasn't some kind of recorded score. And so I got to just fall in love with that, bringing archive film and then live music and working with the performers. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what really attracted me to The Living Mountain is mm-hmm. I love your music. You know, mm, when it was you. first brought to um, attention through Jason, and and yeah, that different energy that musicians have, you know, as as a filmmaker working in the film industry, you do all your creative work, you make the film, mm-hmm. and then it goes away from you in some respects. Yeah. That it's in the cinema, it's it's. But that live element in the cinema yeah. is really that's what I find really special because audiences are like blown away by it. Yeah, and it also makes every single. It makes the film different every single time because there's bound to be differences in absolutely timings of things or yeah, you know, and you will generally find and, that it's improvising yeah. or or less formal mm. musicians or less formally trained musicians yeah. doing um, silent mm. film, but also that what we're doing, which I feel it's not it's not silent film live music mm-hmm. piece in the, that kind of traditional sense. Yeah. It is more we're working together to create that film yeah. with Robin. That's that's quite important to to make that, that difference. And, and I think that's where that kind of improvisation of the music then just interweaves mm-hmm. with the film. Yeah. It's been a really interesting process for me to mm. have to know... I know nothing about film, to um, particularly well, seeing the archive, getting that insight into that you're in a lucky position to get to to view it somehow. Mm. And maybe not many people have seen that before, but also having worked with you on a few projects now, so this one and and another project um, you're running this year called Mm. Launch to Mm -hmm. do with the RNLI and the year of coasts and Scotland's year of coasts and waters. Mm. And seeing that, it was really interesting for me to watch the film that you made for Launch. Mm -hmm. And then I almost couldn't imagine how we'd work out the music. Yeah. Because I just it's something I'd never really done before. Mm-hmm. But then actually to get in a room with other musicians and then we actually, we all took something different from that film yeah. and then to chat about it and then you it makes you see things in a different way as well. Mm-hmm. And I really I'm glad there was you know this that it was a sil- effectively a silent film that I yeah. watched first of all and that I was on my own so I didn't have anybody else chipping in and saying anything mm-hmm. to influence what I thought about the film yeah absolutely and especially from the filmmaker like Mm. myself I maybe edit the films and that launches very much that that I've been working and finding and amazing partnership with the RNLI who've just opened up their Mm. archives to edit that together Mm -hmm. and then I just kind of share that with you without I kind of was thinking well I could tell you a bit about the films and that kind of context around it but it's actually it's more visceral than that it's Mm -hmm. more that kind of what I would love, and I think the audiences would love, and and hopefully yourselves as musicians, is that more 
instinctive response mm -hmm. to the films, as you're saying, you know, especially with RNLI, the kind of emotions that come out yeah. of that, the ever-changing landscape of the sea, and, and, and then hopefully we bring in different layers as the process goes in terms of, for me in that project, is the communities that mm -hmm. are... Um, that supports that the RNLI serves. Yeah, and it's so nice that there's images from those places that we're then going to go and do the gig in. So there'll be, mm. you know, into Obermory, there'll be people coming to the launch gig, and yeah. there's lots of images from that place and mm -hmm. linking people back to spanning across a whole load of different generations, all that film. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite special, really. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and it's, I just think that's so important. And the power of images showing mm. film in the places where they were shot, mm. whether that's 50 years later or 60 years later or even two years later. Yeah. Even within living memory, people are still love it. I mean, it's, I say people and audiences, but it's me. I, I love that, you know, as an audience member as well. Yeah. It's what really captures my imagination. And chatting to people after mm. you put on shows as well yeah. must be... Doing the blether. Yeah. That's oh, what so I call important. it, doing the blether. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of what a kind of seeing is also a little bit known for, is mm. is having the blether afterwards. Mm. Yes, there's that amazing communal experience on the big screen, and that's a big part of what I do. And I love watching films on the big screen. I'd much rather that than, than anything else. And that's, you know, that's a personal preference. But there's that communal experience, and then the conversations that are sparked after that. Mm. And it is a blether. And I know... Technically, blether means slight tangent, but blether is to kind of like chat a little bit uh, in an exaggerated way, I think, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah. So uh, when someone is a blether, they're oh, like, oh, they're just a blether. Right, okay. You know, and they just chat on, probably as I'm blethering on right now, actually. Well, no, or a blather, not. I think, is Irish. But for I me. I say blather. Yeah. I don't know why. I wonder. Maybe it's not just an Irish thing. Maybe it's different parts of Scotland. It might be my weird family, though. It's one of those things thing. you discover when you leave home. You're like, oh, that's how you say things. <laughs> I know, yes. Other people say things very differently to the four of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but as a, a blether, it's a great way of enabling folk to share what they feel about, what they've mm -hmm. just seen, what they've just experienced. Yeah. And that, to me, is, is half the event much as there's me putting a film together or musicians performing, I think it's the chat afterwards yeah. that is... Yeah, I see it as very much a three-way uh, experience mm. of what's on screen, what's happening in the room live by performers or storytellers or dancers sometimes, um, and then the audience, which is the third um, the third way. Yeah, there's something quite... We've been chatting about that. We're up in... Up at Lyth Arts Centre, and we've mm. been here all week developing the Living Mountain film and music, and just thinking in terms of where are the audience in the room, and physically, physically, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it was kind of harking back to what you're saying there. Mm. There's, it's like a three-way, three-way interaction, isn't yeah. it, with the film, whatever live music or soundscape there is going on in the audience, mm -hmm. and that's important. I think such, in this project, yeah, and audience members are such an important part of everything we do as creatives and, it, yeah. you know, if it's something that an audience come to. Yeah, um, absolutely. I teach as a, as a sort of a tutor, a kind of um, guest tutor at Edinburgh University on the Masters in Film Exhibition and Curation. And so there's a lot of in-depth academic research about curation. Maybe not as much as, as other fields, but it's interesting that 
a lot of curators will say, well, I don't curate for, I don't choose films for the audience. Mm. And I think that's true. I think all of us, you know, as a curator, you don't do that. But it's always, to me, it's always in my mind. I mean, even if it's to the fact of like, well, I'm going to be in Tobermory, so I'm going to show films of Tobermory. I think it has to have a relevance to the Mm -hmm. audience. And I'm sure curators would agree, other curators would agree with that. But that for me is is important and and yeah and so the audience has a massive role in that mm. in in what I do I say you're not trying to please people because mm. you probably might not yes that always, happens yeah that's um, the way of it uh, especially I think with archive people have an expectation mm. of what archive film is going to be I do have to be I learnt quite early on I had to be quite careful about how I you know do the wee event copy yeah. about the events that I do because I can't promise... I mean, people say archive, they're like, oh, man, if you got something of my front door 50 years ago, mm-hmm. it's very likely I don't, mm-hmm. unless you're, like, the queen or something. <laughs> but I'll have something, mm. and I'll have something... Or the archive will have something, and I'll find something that maybe is connected. Maybe not, but it, just that managing that expectation is, is quite important, too, that it's... You're not going to come and see your own house or, mm-hmm. or your family members, but you'll maybe recognise a shop or... Yeah. Um, a bus route or a mountain. Yeah, and even just having been watching these some of these archives from the Cairngorms with, with you, and it's just quite fascinating. Some films from the nineteen forties, even mm-hmm. from more much more recently, mm-hmm. just like the way different, you know, just the style of the way people are dressed or yeah. can of beer that they're drinking, or yes. it's like the dancing that they're doing. Yeah, it's just it's it's lovely. Yeah. It Lovely is. to see. It is. It's it helps smile at it. I yeah, think. definitely. And people use the word nostalgia, obviously, mm. quite a lot with archive film. And and I do find I'm I'm the same. You know, I I, I get nostalgic for a time I didn't know the 1950s. Mm. There's a lot of footage of Edinburgh in the 1950s. Yeah. Just this beautiful, this brilliant color as well. Because mm. the 50s was when when amateur. Because a lot of film in our archives is amateur film. And that's sometimes the best as well. It's quite natural and yeah. families, and there's a there's a relationship between the filmmaker, the person behind the camera, and who's in front of it as well. There's an ease, isn't there? I think, yeah. which you don't get with more scripted things or there's sort of the, there's quite a lot of films that are advertising or educational yeah. films, and that sort of like you know they're directed. The people mm-hmm. on screen are directed, and I think you see it in these films in the Living Mountain that we use as well. This amateur, we've made it to the top of a hill, hurrah, you yeah. know, kind of stuff <laughs> in our tweeds. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Not that that's necessarily a, it's a lot of kilts. Uh, surprisingly, at that point. yeah, a lot of kilts. Obviously, it's not a Visit Scotland advert. No. But there's just poker going up the hill in a kilt. Absolutely. And you wonder, I mean, did they put oh, the kilt Miguel. on? Gail, my goodness. But did they put the kilt on because somebody had a camera? Yeah. I don't know. know. They had to wear their Sunday best because they were yeah. going to be on film. Because that was like unusual. I mean, 1940s, somebody with a camera, yeah. that's a little bit unusual. And it would be people who can afford it mm-hmm. and who could afford to process it mm-hmm. as well. So... Maybe it was like, right, we're getting the camera out, so you know, get your Sunday best on. We're going up a hill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doesn't even matter. <laughs> get your nice silk scarf and <laughs> yeah, totally. lovely knitted jumper. Mm. You do quite a lot of showings of films rurally as well, don't mm-hmm. you? Yep. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot on that side of potentially less amateur films because of that reason, because it just wasn't available. Mm. I remember doing screenings in Barra in the screen machine, the mobile cinema that goes around Scotland. And I remember trying to find films of Barra, and there's quite a few for sure in the archive, but a lot of them are made by people who don't come from Barra, mm. who weren't on the island as well. And so you get a very certain 
perspective on the island. And and I remember in the blether after that screening, speaking to folk and saying, so, you know, are there any films? I always ask, are there any films of this area? And one woman said, well, probably not. I mean, we didn't get electricity till the 1960s. Mm. You're like, fair enough, that's true. And so, I mean, that just spurs me on to try and then find footage that is more modern. Because mm. to me, archive can be last year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and things will have changed and if we also remember it. But you do get a lot in the archive, without trying to generalise, of rural areas. It, I think that in the 1940s sort of, well, and 50s, and probably earlier too, that there was a, a move to use film as a, as a tool mm. to tell people what's going on in your country. And so those kind of educational films or advertising or corporate films are fascinating. And, you know, they always start, and we've got a shot of this in the project in Living Mountain, of a map. And it always starts at, like, either Glasgow or Edinburgh or London. Mm. And there's somebody with a pen, and they draw from Glasgow all the way up to wherever they're going. In our case, I think it's up to, what's up to the Cairngorms? Mm. It's up to, to Grantown, I think, and Braemar. But... Yeah, it's always as if to say, look how far away these people are going. <laughs> yeah. Look how far away these On people live. Journey. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, then you, you're in the place and you're showing this film. They're saying, well, we're actually in the place. This is the centre of our world. Glasgow yeah. isn't. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. You know. It's like the, it's that whole, there's no peripheries, is there? Mm. Because every it's somebody's cent- centre. Yeah. So my mm. periphery is Glasgow. Yes, from where I'm based, you know, it's interesting. Yes, absolutely. You say outer reaches of somewhere and people assume generally where I live, on an island somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than actually London's as far away as you can get. Yeah, there's a a cracking um, exhibit, if you've got the time, when you're in Stornoway next. Um, There's a museum there and I've momentarily forgotten it. It's in the the castle in, in Stornoway. You can't miss it, it's beautiful. It's across the bay from the the harbour it's been refurbished and redone and 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 new material in it and there's this great amount of videos of people who live on lewis all sorts of places in lewis because lewis in itself you know is you know you could be in stornoway and your peripheries ness or yeah um or or the like or shawbost or something like that it's great though that's where that, that really struck me that they were saying you know, folks say that we live in the in the middle of nowhere. It's like, no, we live. This is the centre of our world. Yeah. Do you know? And that's not parochial. It's like it's just where it's just a fact. It's geography. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's geography. And not yeah. many folk, especially in Lewis, will travel so much onto mm-hmm. the mainland. You've got everything you need necessarily in Stornoway, mm-hmm. but uh, it's uh, it's just fascinating that. And when you then you transplant a, a film from a national archive, the National Library of Scotland, which is an incredible archive, and they look after our national film collection just incredibly well and and it's accessible on the cat on the catalogue and the like as well on the database but um when you take a film from a national archive and and show it in a very local setting i think it's uh it's something quite powerful in how communities see themselves and that's something i've been doing a lot of work actually with the coalfields regeneration trust or just embarking on a new project with them and coalfield communities so it's yeah. It's that power that I think is really important. When you say archive, mm. is it film right up until basically now? They just take they take 
collections or yeah they do yeah um they have a, a as, as you'd imagine they need to have a collecting policy a mm-hmm. collecting strategy they can't take everything they, they make <laughs> very careful decisions yeah. which i'm quite pleased they do to yeah. be honest and i think as we come into the digital age we'll be looking for more of that the moving image archive was set up as the scottish screen archive in the 1970s and so they were already sort of catching up on 90 years since the 1890s of footage and like their earliest film is 1895 and wow have you seen it yeah yeah it's great what's it of it's of a wedding of posh people okay (laughs) lord overton i think it is i think that's right it's a posh person's wedding okay so they had somebody there with a camera Really early doors. And there's wow. like an advert as well, which is for Dewar's Whiskey, which is a great film that's made in New York, actually. And it's it's Scottish people, in inverted commas. <laughs> Their kilts are way too high or oh, way no. too low. And they're <laughs> dancing. Skirt. And yeah, it's basically drink to be Dewar's fair, Scotch I've seen whiskey. some adverts like that for present day Scotland, you know. <laughs> it's true, yes. <laughs> yeah. Still not okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and they're dancing. They're trying to do Highland dancing. It's quite hilarious. Yeah. But and that was like that. That was projected up above Herald Square, I believe it was in New York City wow. in the eighteen nineties. That's um, amazing. Yeah, the story I didn't realise film went back that far. To mm, be honest. Yeah, that's it. It's the earliest. Yeah, the story goes that they showed it. They screened it like on a huge screen above Herald Square, like quite high up in the eighteen nineties. And I read a newspaper article from the time that apparently people were so amazed, you know, to see this huge, such a thing at the the start of cinema, to see this massive screen and moving images on it. Um, Apparently, pickpocketers had a very good day that day. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say people were going to run over or something. That might have happened, yes, yeah. That must have been amazing to see that. Yeah, and that was probably, well, before purpose-built cinemas as well. You know, or you know, because I mean, it was fairs and things a big like thing, that. Isn't it? Mm. You know, from the first first ones to now, we are, yeah. with our home home cinemas, it's Definitely. just quite mind blowing, really. I know, it is. It's uh, it's always had that appeal. I think. Yeah, you're going to the cinema and that experience. It is escapism, but it's. I think it's about more than that now mm. as well. Of learning something more. Yeah. You know, without heavy educationalism or anything, but adoring people mm-hmm. on the big screen, whoever that may be for you. And I think as well, I mean, you said earlier that I don't know anything about film. And mm-hmm. I, I think anyone who's been to the cinema knows about film. There's a language and that's, you know, I studied film and that's what you get drilled into you. I did at that time. There's a film language. Mm-hmm. And we, we get that. We know, you know, what the language is of that filmmakers are trying to get a message across to us, a story across mm-hmm. to us. And they're getting much more adept at it now, of course. Yeah. and always have been in some respects there's always a style about it but like it or not we know how a story is constructed mm. or we instinctively know it's like it's like reading yeah. in some respects Yeah, that's a bit sort of a weird comparison but there are rules you go through a door you go into another room and yeah. and you see that you see the shock on their face as they see what's in the mm-hmm. other side of the door mm. but you have to open the door first and there's it's the like, basics. Don't do it. <laughs> exactly. Don't open the door. Yeah, and then can you everyone... not hear the creepy music? <laughs> yes, exactly. And there you go. There's another signifier, isn't there? Yeah. As they say in cultural studies, it's yeah. There's the creepy music. I can't watch scary films. I'm sure if they were muted and there were, or there was like cheery music, it would be to, it would be like <laughs> a comedy. <laughs> it could absolutely. Yeah, that idea of we were talking about that earlier, weren't they? That idea of divorcing the sound from mm. the image. 
And in particular, in this case, it was to do with the the voiceover. In the sort of the, in the Living Mountain, we have a film from the nineteen seventies, which is all about Glenmore Lodge and how these kids from Glasgow. I don't think there's a map, but they look how far they went from Glasgow <laughs> to Glenmore Lodge, which is a long time and that yeah. long, a long way in that in that time, I suppose. And and yes, yeah, so it's an educational film, very mm-hmm. much. These films are also shot, and then the soundtrack, the 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 commentary is then recorded separately. Yeah. And the relationship between them in terms of the creation of them, it could be, I suspect the script is written first. Yeah. And then that's made, the film is right, made. Okay. That can sometimes be what happens. I've seen some of the, you can see the papers, like the letters and the kind mm-hmm. of scripts um, mm-hmm. and the drafts of the scripts in the Moving Image Archive in the National Library. And, uh, and a lot of those kind of promotional films where... We want a film, yes. You know, men sitting this, with cigars, yeah. saying we want we want a film to, yeah, to to say what the good work that's going on in Glenmore Lodge, and um, and the Cairn Gorms and the health benefits of the mm. of of being but in the mountains and outdoors. That's one thing about the archive that you've picked out because I mean it was limited, really. Mm. What what was available from mm-hmm. this particular re- region, and obviously, mm. the Living Mountain is so about the Cairn Gorms. We were keen to keep it, yeah, Cairn Gorms centered, yeah. It was lovely to see that there's lots of women in the archive. Yes. But as we were saying, we watched the films with the sound on and it's a completely different experience because <laughs> yes. without the sound, you see all these women up in the hills mm-hmm. going for walks and lying by a loch and yeah. it's pretty adventurous stuff. And yeah. then with the sound sound on, you're, you're kind of sat there cringing. I mean, it's a different yeah. time. Yes. Obviously, there was different But the, but the commentary at that point as well is sort of like, look, even women can do it too. Yeah, I know. It's like, girls would enjoy it too. You don't yeah. have to be a boy, but sort of having a rip-roaring yeah. time. Even, look at them, they're even jumping over burns and, yeah. and finding out more about the world around them. And it's it's kind of in its own... It's kind of patronising... Now, I'm sure it probably was at the time as yes. well. For and people, is it, but. but is it, is it trying to say, look, women's lib? Is it trying to trying to hook onto that of that time of the 1970s yeah. of sort of like, look, women, you'll enjoy it too. Yeah. You know, it's trying to get to to speak to women, but yeah. but not really, really not so. really managing. <laughs> <laughs> but to watch it now is fascinating, and and how effective it was, I don't know, obviously, yeah. but um, but it's a beautiful film. Yeah. And it's great to see to see women represented yeah, in the oh, films because yeah. it's it's just not always happening. And so then when you watch it now and take the commentary off, which we've done, yeah. you're left with. And it's interesting because I don't, you know, there's as I say that film language. You can definitely um, use your camera to give a certain perspective on the people that you're filming. You know, mm-hmm. that classic of having a low angle shot looking mm-hmm. up. At somebody who's very powerful mm-hmm. and the other way around. And I don't feel that that's been used. Like no. The filmmakers, who won't probably know well, what the commentary was, quite no. frankly, I suspect, probably not care, just mm-hmm. get the job done. But they were just filming young women, yeah. admittedly in very short, short, short shorts. <laughs> I know, um, up a mountain. Up a mountain. Where's your sunny. thermals? <laughs> it was sunny, I'm sure it would be fine. No, I'm sure. It did look nice, the weather. It did. Yeah. It was always nice in the 1950s. That's true. The weather was always nice. Yeah. And you could go swimming in the sea mm. or Lockins. It in was much warmer in those days. Swimsuit. Maybe that's a bit <laughs> before then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was fascinated by that in archive films. That Everyone seemed to go to the beach in those days. Obviously, but we're just a lot less hardy now. I think there's I think more package so. holidays and that whole I think we're used world, to heating. Yes, that's true, actually. All got a bit soft. Yeah. Definitely. It's not a bad thing. I <laughs> no. like being warm. I have like to say, but too. yeah. 
Yeah, so I thought I'd also ask about the music because I've been oh, yes. asking everybody else. I know you do a lot of public transport travel. If you're Indeed. headed out, and I know you like being in the outdoors, if, mm. you're, if you're going for a walk, heading to get somewhere on a bus or a train mm. or driving, mm-hmm. is there some music that you tend to listen to on your way there or on your way back or something you hear that brings a landscape to mind? Yeah, I think probably the latter is probably a good yeah. good one for me. I mean, I do, as you say, I do love public transport travel, usually I'm working on the, on the train or the boat. Yeah, there's definitely tracks that make me think of places and and the feelings that you have when you're out and about. I don't necessarily listen to music when I'm out and about. Mm. It always mm. interests me when I go for a walk and see people with headphones in. Though. Yes, uh-huh. You think what you're listening to? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, for I, I do a lot of walking like around country parks and more lowland stuff. You'll see a lot of folk with dogs, mm. you know, walking their dogs, and they're definitely just out just because the dog needed to get out. And yeah. They've got their headphones plugged in and they haven't been audio book or catching up with a football or yeah. whatever. But I had a couple of thoughts. Was um, especially working on this project too, has kind of made me think about it. It's like the there's a great track by John Hopkins. Mm-hmm. who is like an electronic sort of music mm. DJ. He's massive, apparently, with the kids. Oh, is apparently. he? Yeah. I have to say, I've never heard of him, I but I will be looking him up I, after this. You should this. definitely. <laughs> and this track particularly is called Emerald Rush. Okay. And it's from his album Singularity. And I was just on a mixtape that yeah. a pal had, or I don't get mixtapes anymore, playlist that a pal had put up. And it's great. It's It's total, it's not rave stuff, mm. but it's, it's got a beat to it, and I think yeah. that's what I love. And I think out on the hills and getting up hills, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like um, I am a lowland walker, and yeah. I think and I would I get out of breath quite quickly. <laughs> you can feel <laughs> the heartbeat, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So it's something to keep me urging me yeah. forward, yeah. for sure. And um, and it's a great one, John, because Hopkins is it. Um, it starts off quite sedate mm-hmm. and just sort of like quite ethereal, and then it sort of kicks in, and and the beat really does a proper kick in it totally takes off yeah mm. and then by the end of it you're just you're you're at the top buzzing you're buzzing exactly <laughs> and then the other one I thought of this is a bit more about the kind of the reflective nature of mm. of going up a hill it was uh, is by Amy Rigby who is an American singer-songwriter who was doing a lot or she does a lot now but she was around about the 1960s, 1970s. She'll probably kill me if I'd get that wrong. But she's a singer-songwriter. She spent a lot of time in Nashville. She's had this incredible life of being a single mother, playing in bands, being a musician, being on the road. And she's now happily married to the wonderful guy called Reckless Eric. She is... I love her. She's a a friend of a friend, really, but I've seen her a number of times. But she's got this album called Little Fugitive from 2005, and there's a great track in it called... It's the last track in the album as well, called The Things You Leave Behind. Mm. And she just... I love a song with a story as well, do you know? And um, and it's it's about the stuff that you... You know you're going to die, and... But you've got all this baggage. Yeah. And, like, the physical stuff of books and CDs and records and... And the like, but also the emotional baggage mm. as well. What do you leave behind? Yeah. Either when you die or when you keep moving on. And there's like a line in it, in the chorus, which is, you know that you're going to die. And and it says it, it gets heavier with every mountain that we climb, which is such a metaphorical thing. And, and maybe more negative or cynical look on it all. But, you know, the mountains that we're climbing are actually these challenges to kind of yeah. overcome. And 
and every time we get over them we've we've got more baggage afterwards yes <laughs> whereas some like the actual physical mountain can mm. have the opposite effect of yeah. getting rid of the baggage exactly <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and i think the she's a walker actually yeah okay. she lives in upstate new york I'll i think to, but i'll have to look her up as well she's great that kind of philosopher just born out of reality just sheer real life and then the nashville kind of sparkle yeah added oh, into it. i love that <laughs> and and i have to say i did have another I wanted to say another track, and it's a little bit self-congratulatory in that it's um, the Plateau oh. track that from Living oh, Mountain. I'm blushing. Oh. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's not it's not because you're sitting in the room, but it's it's I think it's a great track, and oh. it's the opening track, and and also as a filmmaker, when you're and I I, I call myself a filmmaker, but primarily I'm I'm an editor really, mm-hmm. of of working with found footage, and so. I as think an that's editor, doing yourself a little bit of a disservice well, there. Well, it's just it's just it's an honourable profession. Yes, it's but um, is. well, you're making a film, yeah, yeah. At the end of it, so um, you are a filmmaker, I suppose. But um, but as an editor, you are sitting there potentially listening to the audio mm. again and again and again, just to make sure yeah, you're getting it right. No, it's <laughs> and that's the thing, and that's with that track, I just never tire of it. Yeah. I was doing the film for that on Monday, I think it was. I do love it, and listening to it as well. I mean, I'm not a mountaineer, as I say, but it makes me want to be one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the lyrics and that you're sharing what it means to you. Mm-hmm. I know there's there's probably other creative angles that you've put on it, but that's really essentially what it is. And so, as someone who doesn't go up mountains, I've, I've yet to bag a Monroe, I'll be honest with you. I feel I, I need oh, to do it's that. It's not about the bagging. I know. I tried to. I was about like twelve, and my dad and I went up Ben Lomond, and I just failed. I just, yeah, you're like, I'm done. Like, this is what are we doing here? <laughs> so yes, maybe on a nice day. I think yeah, I'm being inspired. Yeah. You know, at age forty, yeah. odd, cool. That, um, to, oh, well, to go up mountains, we'll get up one. Yeah, at some point that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. I've seen all these pictures and films, and yeah, it looks pretty good to get up there. Yeah, we'll do it. Great. You're on. <laughs> well, thanks very much for chatting to me. Well, thanks for having me. Um, where can we find out more about A Kind of Seeing and the projects you've got? Yeah, you can find it on akindofseeing.co.uk. It's on there. I'm on the, on the Twitter at Urban Twitcher um, and on the Facebook too, A Kind yeah. of Seeing. Oh, do you know I'm all over the You're place? All, on all of them. Absolutely. I've not we're figured out what... Isn't not Snapchat. There's another one. TikTok. Oh, I've never even heard of that. Yeah. I must be getting next, old. Next challenge. Get out of here. You're not getting old. There's only so many I can keep that's a handle on. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think we need to less go of that and more, more going outside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm up for that. <laughs> anyway, thanks very much for chatting to me. Thanks. Good to chat. the rain.